Hey, you guys, it's the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. It's Stefan here. And, uh, you know, we're going to do something a little different on the show this week. So, as you know, we are now over 500 days into the Trump administration. And for all of us who have been actively resisting during that period, it's been a long slog. There have been a few bright spots, but, uh, you know, overall, just the daily onslaught of lies, the smashing of norms, the assaults on marginalized communities, the stoking of hate, really just the the daily news cycle. It's been challenging at times to keep going. But these last couple weeks have been different, uh, particularly with the news of what is happening to asylum seekers who are being torn from their children at the border. It's just it's hard to process. Uh, I am hearing and reading comments from listeners who are saying that they're losing hope, that they're thinking of leaving the country. Someone said they wanted to max out their credit cards and go to Arizona and storm the castle. And I spent a long time trying to figure out how to address this on the show this week, because I think we need to, uh, and you'll notice the show is late this week, and that's because I tried to do a few different versions, and nothing really felt right. And so you know what, gang, I'm just going to drop my journalistic objectivity, and I'm just going to tell you, I am right there with you. I've been alternating between rage and despair, uh, and some mornings it's it's been hard to get out of bed. So I decided to call my friend Mark Nash. Mark is a psychotherapist in private practice in Vermont, and he's one of the wisest people that I have the pleasure to know personally. Uh, hey, Mark, thanks for doing this, man. My pleasure. And uh, to use the favorite psychotherapeutic term, I get it. (laughs) Well, you know, since you kind of mentioned that, before we even jump into what I think I and a lot of people are feeling, you know, it's got to be difficult for you to, in a clinical setting, maybe hear people who are expressing a lot of the things that I'm expressing, and for you to kind of lay back and not express your own personal feelings. But I'm sure you're just as internally upset by all this, right? Yeah. And actually, um, it's okay to be a human being when you're a therapist. And it's okay to say, yeah, I get it. I feel that stuff too. And it's really hard and it's really painful. And uh, accepting that we are... Um, um, that we all share these feelings, that there is a shared humanity. Um, and it, it's one of the things that you're doing so well is creating this community so that people know that they're not alone. And that's really the first step is to reach out and talk to other like-minded people. And it reminds us that we are not alone in this. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, the constant news cycle that you were talking in the intro, talking about in a sense, I see that as good news. How so? We are not ignoring what's happening. People are talking about it all the time. And the more people are talking about it, the more people are paying attention to it, the more um, action can and will be taken. This isn't being swept under the rug. We do still have freedom of press as much as Donald Trump hates it. Mm. Um, and so... Uh, the fact that we still are getting enough information to become outraged suggests that there is still enough of a free flow of information uh, that we can form a resistance. And that makes me want to ask, and I agree with everything that you just said, but it makes me want to ask, I know that people feel a certain amount of fatigue 
that goes yeah. with a lot of this. And in fact, some people even report, I've read stories of people being, quote unquote, addicted to the news cycle, almost being addicted to the outrage. Um, yeah. it, there, there's a, a columnist in Seattle named Danny Westneed who wrote about a former Seattle City Council member uh, recently who said that he felt addicted to the, quote unquote, Trump outrage. Yeah. How then do we strike that balance between being informed and letting it consume us? Uh, yeah, well, um, a certain amount of stepping back from your emotional reaction. Um, you have the emotional reaction. And then you say, okay, that's my emotional brain talking to me. Let's flip over to my rational mind. And a couple of questions that you can ask yourself. Okay, is there anything that I can actually do in this moment? Most of us can't run down to Arizona and storm the castle. Hmm. But is there something that we can do in our community? Is there a phone call that we can make? Is there an email that we can send? Um, And even if it isn't directly related to the outrage of the day, is there something that we can do just to make our community better so that we're engaging in practices of service, practices of, of gratitude, of kindness, so that we are actively creating the kind of world that we want to live in? The outrage is addictive because it seems to counter our feelings of impotence. Well, I, I think I get what you're saying, but explain what you mean by that. Go into depth on that, if you would. When we are watching these horrific images and we're sitting at home and thinking, there's nothing I can do about this. In a sense, feeling outraged, feeling angry, sort of feels like we're doing something. Because the alternative, we believe, if we are sanguine about this, or if we tune it out, or if we are rational about it, it can feel to us like we don't care enough. And so outrage makes us feel like we care and maybe that's enough to make us feel like we're taking responsibility. That we're somehow substituting then our outrage for action or... Exactly right. Yeah. Because we don't feel like there is any action that we can take or that would be effective. And so rather than doing nothing, well, then I'll get pissed. And ultimately, it ends up not being useful. And so that's why we have to wean ourselves from this addiction because we exhaust ourselves emotionally and we don't have the energy to do the things that actually would be useful. Well, it's individual, but so then what's a balance? What's an ideal balance in, in your mind? And I'll, I'll use myself as an example. So uh, in addition to doing this program and being very involved in the Indivisible community, as you know, I moderate a site called My Liberal Pals on Facebook. And in so doing, I, I'm on input. All the time. And there's a part of me that feels like in order to do the work that I'm doing in those areas, I need to be informed. And I know that this is something that a lot of people are probably nodding their heads when they're hearing me say this. It's just like, look, if we're going to be activists, we need to know what's going on. But how do we strike that balance? How do we strike a balance in a way that's healthy, that allows us to know what's going on, but doesn't allow us to tip over into the kind of outrage that can be self-destructive? Well, how much do you need to know? Are you asking that rhetorically or are you asking me specifically? Yes, I'm asking you specifically how much, um, how many different versions of the story that you may be focusing on and how many different pundits take do you need to take in before you have the information that you need to do to act? 
I'm going to jump ahead to where I suspect that you're going and say that there is a palpable difference that I feel when I read a story for informational purposes and I read a story that is almost valid. It's, it's validating what it is that I need to see or hear or feel that yeah. I am so angry and outraged by what is going on that when I see you know, somebody who is is capturing my outrage in a particular way. I have to be honest, I, I feel this charge of dopamine. I, I almost feel a sense of self-righteousness. And I yeah. think that's where it goes wrong for me, yeah. particularly. Yeah. Um, well, from a mindfulness perspective, the fact that you're noticing that is great. I don't always do anything, do anything about it, but sure, I notice it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so then you start to say, so that's when you start to ask yourself, how much of this do I need in order to be effective? Essentially, how do you strike the balance? Everybody's got to find their own balance. Mm. And where's the tipping point between being informed enough to be as engaged and active as you need to be versus continually stoking that outrage and stoking that self-righteousness? You really hit on another reason why we get addicted to the news is we want that constant validation that our outrage is justified and that our perspective is the correct one. But I think that what we're really looking for is a sense that we are not alone. I think that we end up feeling really isolated. And so we go to the next news channel and the next um, Facebook page and the next uh, New York Times article to see if there are any other people there and maybe even people with more power than we are who see the world in the same way that we do, and maybe they can do something. And so in some ways, in searching for reassurance, we're also overloading ourselves with this constant barrage of how awful it is. So I want to come back and talk about where we began this discussion, which is about what's happening at the border uh, right now with uh, asylum seekers being torn from their children. I feel like we're in a new phase of this administration where it's almost difficult to process the cruelty that we are seeing right now. And so we go on this overload, and I feel like the only response is rage. And from a therapeutic standpoint, how do, you, how do we deal with that? A couple of thoughts. One is that rage and anger are great starter fuels, but we cannot operate in the long term on a steady diet of outrage, anger, fury. And so we have to engage in a certain amount of self-care and learn to take the anger down a notch. And there is a belief sometimes that if we don't stay angry, we won't stay active. Or if we don't stay angry, it somehow means we don't care enough. And there's another belief that happens, which is how can I let myself feel good for a moment when those kids are suffering? Yeah, you know, that's something really fundamental uh, because for me as a white, straight, cisgendered male, I feel like I have the, the luxury of not being angry, um, I, I feel kind of like maybe it's my duty 
almost to be angry. But, you know, as you say, it's I'm probably not bringing my best self to anything if I remain angry all the time. And one way to address anger is something that you you touched on earlier, which is mindfulness. This is a Buddhist precept. uh, And I I would love for you to unpack that for us a little bit in the therapeutic context uh, for people who maybe aren't familiar. This is the idea that you can feel an emotion, you can acknowledge it, but not necessarily be compelled to act on it. It's the difference between reacting and responding, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, you've, you've got it. Um, so we can't keep from having an emotional reaction. What we choose to do with that is in our control to some extent. Um, so when, you know, when somebody says, uh, I'm so angry and therefore I have to punch this wall. Well, no, you don't have to punch a wall. There is a moment between feeling the anger and the action of punching. What mindfulness does is it actually increases the distance. It increases that time between the reaction and the response so that you're not being led around by your emotions. You're seeing the emotional reaction and then making a conscious decision how you want to engage with that emotion. Okay, so let's take a for instance. So uh, let's see. I let's say that I, I see somebody saying something uh, horrific on Twitter, yep. um, and I immediately want to react. I want to react. I want to tell them all the ways that they're wrong, and and I, I want to you know write a, a, a screed in two hundred and eighty characters. Yep. Walk me through how I would use mindfulness, for example, right. in that scenario. So uh, you see the tweet from the other person and you have this feeling of anger and you probably have a thought that goes with it. Thoughts like that person is wrong. That person is an idiot. Um, I need to counteract that person's opinion. I need to set them right. And if I don't do those things, I'm not doing my job as a member of the resistance. I don't know if I've ever shot off a tweet or a Facebook post where I told somebody how terrible and wrong they were, and they said, oh, you know what? You're right. I never saw it from your perspective. (laughs) We know too much about confirmation bias at this point to know why that's so. That's right. That's right. And so what mindfulness would do is with practice, you'd get that angry reaction, and then you'd notice, oh, there's my anger, and there's what my anger is telling me to do. Is that the most effective choice right now? Is that behavior, if I engage in that behavior that my anger is telling me to engage in, is that going to be in alignment with my core values? Meaning, is that going to be the person that I want to be in the world? Is that the kind of energy that I want to put out there? So I might be asking you to tie this up in a a little bit of a a, a neat package here, but I, I do wonder... Do you have any specific – this is a show that goes out to, to an activist community uh, and, and a very ardent and involved activist community. Uh, as From a therapeutic standpoint, do you have specific advice for people who are actively involved in, in resisting what's happening right now, particularly in terms of what they need to continue what is, is, is going to be probably a pretty long fight here? Well, I'm going to come back to uh, two, two main themes. One is self-care. In order, this is not a sprint; it's a marathon. And um, if we if we blow our gaskets every time there's a new out, outrage, how do we keep that up for another couple of years? And the other big piece, and we haven't talked about this a lot, but it's I think extremely important to 
do your activist work in terms of the direct things that you can do politically and socially, um, you know, making the calls, doing the marches, if that's your thing, writing the op-eds, all of those things that are directly activist. But I also think that it's incredibly important to do what we can to make our little corner of our worlds into the kind of world that we want to live in. I don't think that there's any way we are going to find peace in this nation if our main tool is to attack those with whom we disagree, because then we are just perpetuating exactly that which we are fighting against. And so I believe that in order to remake this country in the image that we want to see it in, we have to engage in acts of kindness, generosity, compassion, empathy, even towards those who we see as our enemies. It's a tall order. Yeah. And I don't think that I don't think that everybody should do it. I think that it has been the most effective for me. And I think that. Um, that Gandhi said it best, be the change you want to see in the world, if you can. There's one other piece, especially for those of us who are the news addicts. As much bad news as there is out there, there's also good news. It takes a little more searching, but it's worth it, because that's where we find our allies. That's where we find our friends and our support. And uh, I'll do a call out specifically to a Facebook page called Small Victories, and every week they post 15 to 20 victories that show that the resistance is having an effect. And that is a great antidote to all of the crap that we see. Absolutely. Well, you know, for folks not familiar with small victories, I will put a link on the website and on the SoundCloud page for people to check that out. But Mark, thank you so much, man. My great pleasure. And thanks for all your work, man. And that's it for this week's show. Do drop me an email. Check in, say, hey, uh, we're in this together. And as always, I will say thanks for listening. And really, thanks for being a part of this community. And we're in this together. Talk to you next time. Bye.